The second chapter of the book of Colossians. We're studying this marvelous little book. Some say it's a mini book with a mighty message. It's full of Jesus. And there is no subject about which we could preach any greater than about this beautiful Savior. If you're not ready for, um, ready for this, please get ready for this, this, this message on the Savior. For I want you to know, chapter 2, verse 1, how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, the ABCs of the unseen world, rather than according to Christ. Here it is, the, pivot, the pivotal verse of this entire book. As a matter of fact, it's the pivotal verse of your life. For all that God has done and wants to do in your life is in this verse, in these verses 9 and 10. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you have been made complete. And He is the head over all rule and authority. There's something... Um, incomplete about modern man. Most of us would agree to that. There is something incomplete about modern man. Some inadequacy, some deficiency, some void, some lack. So that man spends all of his time trying to fill this inadequacy, this void that's there. Psychologists tell us that the impulse toward completion is the most compelling motive of life. So that man spends his time trying to fill this emptiness. That might explain why we have literally gone crazy in this country and have bent our minds with mind-bending drugs. Man seeking to fill this inadequacy, this incompleteness that he feels. It's, the, it's at the heart of the primal sin. You know, man sinned in the beginning because he wanted to be more than he was. And the result was that he became less than he was. 
And he wanted to be more than man, so he sinned in order to be more than man. The result was he became less than man. And so God, so the devil came to Adam in the garden and he said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll be like God. And the implication is that God doesn't want you to be complete. He wants to dwarf and dominate you. So he's forbidden this because he knows that if you eat of this tree, you will be like him, you will be complete. And so man sinned in the garden in order to be complete. And the result was he became incomplete. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that phrase, the glory of God, come short of the glory of God, means that man is in a state of lack, a state of want, so that all men are in a state of incompleteness. Things not any better, are they? You haven't gotten it all together either, and there's something missing in our lives. That's why verses 9 and 10 are so special. Because 9 and 10 say that in Jesus Christ you are complete. I like the Moffat translation of that. It says that in Him you reach your full life. And what Paul is saying is that apart from knowing Jesus Christ, man will always be unfulfilled. Without Jesus Christ, he will always be incomplete. Jesus is all you need. You remember the time that Jesus was speaking to the multitudes. By the way, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four Gospels record. And Jesus was preaching to the multitudes and they got hungry. And in fact, He got so long-winded, He talked so long, the Scripture says they almost fainted from hunger. So one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, you better send them away so they can get something to eat. I love the Jesus' response. He said, they don't need to go away. And you don't. Listen to me. You never need to go away from Jesus to find anything you need. He's all you need. Now man is incomplete mentally or intellectually apart from Jesus, but in Him He is complete intellectually and mentally. Man's incomplete in that he cannot comprehend or grasp spiritual truths outside of Jesus. But in Jesus, He is complete intellectually and mentally. Now, if you don't like school, don't run home and say to your parents, well, the preacher said this morning that when you become a Christian, you don't need to go to school anymore. That's, that's ludicrous. Hundreds of years ago, Thomas Aquinas said, all truth without exception, and regardless who speaks it, is of the Holy Ghost. I love it. What Paul is saying is that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus so that when you have Jesus, He unlocks the treasures of all knowledge and wisdom. Now, knowledge is truth that is possessed. Wisdom is truth that is practiced. And that's why wisdom is so much more important. You can have a head full of knowledge and not know how to live, not know how to apply it. And the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, whatever else that means, it means this, that unless you get rightly lined up with God, you, don't, you haven't even started to be smart yet. When I graduated from college, we it's a Baptist school, mind you. We lined up at the administration building, lined up alphabetically according to degree plans, and we were going to march across the campus into the auditorium to be graduated. The guy behind me, I, I got a 
Bachelor of Arts degree, the guy behind me was already started celebrating. He and one of his buddies down the lane of the line, they were so drunk they could hardly make it across the campus. I remember thinking as I started across the campus, that verse of Scripture, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Whatever else that means, it means this, that you can have a handful of diplomas and degrees, but outside of Jesus Christ, outside of lining up with God in the right line, you haven't even started to be smart yet. We're the smartest people who ever lived. Ninety percent of all the scientists who've lived since day one are alive while I preach. And most of what, 90% of what we know in the field of medicine and technology we have learned in the last 20 years, we're the smartest people to ever live, and yet we're the stupidest. For there's never been so much darkness, and there's never been so much confusion and uncertainty. For wisdom is the ability to cope, and we don't have the slightest idea how to cope with life. In Him are hidden all the treasures. Notice, underline it, all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. So that everything you get that is external to Christ is wrong. Had this young person in my church out in West Texas. He went off to college. He's one of our leaders in our youth group. He came back for the summer and I noticed he wasn't coming to church. So I met him day, one day downtown. I said, hey man, I've been missing you at church. And he, he started telling me, you know, in, in so many words, he said, well, I, I found out in college none of, that, none of that stuff's true. He said, I went off down to tech and he said, I found out that the Bible's a, bu- a bunch of myths and it's just a man's book. Anyway, he said, I found out, just, you know, he's feeling pretty good. He said, I just found out that all that stuff wasn't right. I said, well, isn't that a shame? He said, what? I said, your daddy, poor old daddy, hard-working farmer, your poor old daddy spent all that money sent you down there to college. You got all that information. It's wrong. John Henry Newman said, there is no truth really external to Christianity. I believe that. Uh, Robert Browning said, I thirst for truth, but I'll not reach it until I reach the source of it. And he's the source. Which means that everything external to Jesus Christ is junk. And everybody's wanting to add to Jesus. Want to add something to Him. If you want to read the epistles in the New Testament, you'll find that every heresy, Gnosticism, the primary heresy in the New Testament church, was a a heresy that was based upon the fact that knowing Jesus wasn't enough, so we want to add something to Him. Let me tell you something. When you add something to Jesus, what you do is you subtract from Him. And the bottom line is, you get zero. He's all you need. He'll give you the answers to life. He'll help you cope with life. Wisdom is the ability to cope with life. And He's in Him are hidden all the treasures of coping. Now, man's incomplete spiritually. But in Jesus Christ, He is complete spiritually. Now I want you to hang on to verse 9 and 10. If I never help you to understand anything else in the New Testament, I want you to understand 9 and 10. Wonderful verse. It's the pivot around which your life revolves today. In Him dwells all the fullness of deity. And I like the Williams translation of that. He says, in Him dwells deity and fullness, and you are filled with it too. Filled with what? Filled with the fullness of deity. Now, what do I need something else for? I mean, how can you get any fuller than full? When Paul is saying, in Him dwells all the fullness of deity, 
When He indwells us, the fullness of deity indwells us. Every word in that verse, those verses is important. That word dwell means to be permanently at home, to be at home there. It has the idea of eternity about it. It suggests there never has been a time, nor will there ever be a time, when fullness of deity did not dwell in Jesus. He's always been divine. It means that Jesus didn't come into existence in Bethlehem. He'd always been in existence in fullness of deity. Wonder of wonders. That the man who made, was made man, made man. That the man who was brought into existence by a woman, brought the woman into existence, and he was carried in arms, he formed and nursed at breast, he filled. He's fullness of deity, always has been, always will be. So that in the baby lying in Bethlehem, weeping, crying in speechless infancy, there is the unspeakable word, fullness of deity, in that baby. And in that boy, 12 years old, in the temple, fullness of deity. And that man who rested at the well in Sychar, tired and hungry, in his body dwelt fullness of deity. Fullness of deity. And in that man who wept and cried in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced the cross, and that man who died on that cross was both God and man. Can you believe that? And that one who was raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and awaits the Father's command to return, His fullness of deity always has been, always will be. Now why do I need to go off running after Joseph Smith? These guys riding around on bicycle, they can save their time. I don't need to run around after Joseph Smith. Why do I need to follow some inadequate, insufficient, fallen, sinful humanity? I have fullness of deity dwelling in me. Why do I need to run around after Mary Baker Eddy or Confucius or any philosophy? I have the depository of fullness of deity indwelling me. Hallelujah. That word fullness is an interesting word. It's fullness of the fullness, believe it or not. Now that seems kind of awkward. Let me tell you something. Paul's dealing with human speech here and it's, there's a problem here with human speech. How do you describe the indescribable? It's like trying to dip up a the ocean in a teacup. Gertie said, highest truth cannot be spoken. It's like putting a flower show on the radio. How do you do that? Postman paused one day at the door to speak to a little boy about his baby sister. He was so proud of her, he liked to talk about her. So the postman was going to give him an opportunity. They talked about his baby sister a while, and he said, well, can she talk? And the little boy said, no, she's got a couple of teeth, but her words ain't come in yet. <laughs> you asked me to speak about Jesus. I don't have the words for it. Neither does the Apostle Paul. Martin Luther said that we as preachers, when we talk about Jesus, are at best like infants, cooing and gurgling with half words and quarter words. Don't judge the Christ, he said, by our feeble attempts to describe Him. He's fullness of the fullness. Now the key word of this is bodily, believe it or not. He is fullness of deity in bodily form. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Somebody knows the answer, stand up and give me the answer. No, I'll, I'll do that. Why is it so important that God came in body? I want you to turn back to the first chapter. I'm going to read a verse. It begins in verse 19. Oh, what a book. This book is full of Jesus. Verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. Same thought as 2.9. And through Him, listen to this, 
through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth are things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile, aliens and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now what Paul is saying is this. Now listen to me carefully. Jesus did not only experience fullness of deity eternally, but fullness of death eternally. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, because He was in death, fullness of deity, that made His death special. Because He, in fullness of deity, died, made His death special. Why is it so special? Did He come in bodily form? Because, listen, for the first time since Eden, God met man without sin in the body of Jesus. And because Jesus' sinless deity died, He spanned that impassable chasm that existed, that separated man from God. And God met man in the body of Jesus' death. It's the only place you can meet Him. And God said in Jesus, the only place you and I can meet is in the death in the person of Jesus and what He did. Now, I was preaching a revival in Tigard, Oregon a few years ago. Most unusual church I've ever been in. The preacher, everybody in the, in the, in the membership, the preacher had won to the Lord. About 150 of them there. When he started that little church in a grange hall in Tigard, Oregon, which is a large suburb of Portland, there were four members of that little old church, and when he started winning these people and got all these strangers coming in, the four left. They got intimidated and they left. So everybody in that church, he'd led to the Lord. I was up there preaching one night. Some of these, boy, they were all on fire. They were all fresh. And they weren't veterans, you know. They were all rookies. And they were all just getting all excited. And after the service, a guy came up to me. He said, I don't like what you say tonight. I said, well, you're not, you know, that's not unusual. I said, what did you not like about what I said? He said, well, you said the only way to God is through Jesus. And he said, I'm a Muslim. And he said, I know God. He said, I didn't come through Jesus. And I said, well, if we're talking about the same God, if we're talking about the same God, then you haven't come to God if we're talking about the same God because the only way to get to Him is through Jesus. You agree with that? That's what he said. He said, no man comes to the Father but through me. His death is something special because it means that I now have access to God. That means the second thing. Because His death was death of fullness of deity. It makes deity available, accessible. It makes deity accessible. He said, you're no longer aliens, no longer strangers. Now, this is pretty old stuff, but I still get pretty excited about it. You and I can know God. We can touch God. God is accessible to man through the death of Jesus. We're no longer aliens, he said. You know what that means? It means that man 
through Jesus Christ, is perfectly at home with God. No longer a stranger. I'd hate to be a stranger to God. A son. I was working on this sermon. I got thinking about my dad. He died 16 years ago this month. He'd do anything for me. I didn't think so then. I thought he'd do anything to me. You know, but, but I know now he'd do anything for me. Um, we, were, we weren't rich. Poor, really. And he'd take everything he had so that I'd have needs. My needs met. I know that. If he were alive today, I'd go to his house. It would be love that greeted me. It would be love that met me. And anything I needed, all I had to do was ask Him for. How much more the Heavenly Father? I mean, anything we need. It's love that greets us. It's love that meets us. I mean, we're at home with Him. And that means that when we step inside the gates of heaven, we're going to look around and we say, this looks familiar. This looks like home. We've been here before. And we're going to hear that heavenly choir, you know, practicing and getting warmed up for the big event. And we're going to say, I've heard that choir before. Sounds familiar. I mean, the first time I heard that heavenly choir was when I was a senior in high school and I got saved in a little country church in Knox County, Texas. I heard it then. And we're going to feel some hand on our shoulders and we don't even have to turn around and look around. We know that hand. We know that touch. So I'm going to say, I know whose hand that is. I know that touch. I felt it before. It's the touch of the Lord. Because fullness of deity gave itself up for us. We're at home with God. And that settles the estrangement. And it solves the alienation. We're no longer at war with God anymore. He's everything we need spiritually. Why do I need some philosophy when in Him is deposited fullness of deity? One last thought, please. In Him, we're incomplete morally. Outside of Him, we're incomplete morally. In Him, we're complete morally. Outside of Him, you don't have the capacity to break the bonds of sin. But in Him, you do. Now, do you notice what He said in the last part of verse 10? He says, He is the head over all rule and authority. All rule and authority. If you've got a King James Bible, a real Bible... He says all powers and principalities. And he's talking about the forces, the unseen forces that control people. Now whether you're conscious of it or not, some of you are under the control of unseen powers. The word because is a most familiar word in the English language to you. I ask you why you dress like you do, and you say, well, because it's fashionable. Oh, Okay. And I say to you, why do you talk like you do? Well, because everybody else does. Why do you act the way you do? Well, because everybody else does, whether you know it or not. Some of you are under the control of unseen forces. You'd like to quit what you're doing, but you can't. You've made promises you're not going to do that anymore, time and time again, but you do. And there's some of you, haven't you said, man, I'd like to get out of here. I'd like to quit. I'd like to chunk this. The reason you don't, is because you're afraid. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was talking to people who lived under the influence of the stars, they thought. And they believed in astrology. 
such, even such great people as, Caesar, as Julius Caesar and Augustus and level-headed people like Tiberius wouldn't do anything without checking the stars. And they were absolutely under the control of astrology, just like some of us. First thing we do in the morning is check a newspaper. Where are these uh, zodiac badges? The only thing wrong with that is that it's wrong. Because he said that that kind of stuff is not after the teaching of Jesus. It's not Jesus-like. Besides that, you don't have to. You don't have to be under the control of anything. Did you notice that? If, the, if Jesus is the head, that means He has dominion over all forces, authorities, and powers. It means you don't have to be a slave to anything. Now, you may think you're a free moral agent, but you're not. Look at the prodigal son headed off down to the far country. He thought he was headed out to freedom. He wasn't free. He was slave to his own lust. He had to answer the call to heal every time it spoke. Look at him as he slinks along down the road to the far country, cowed like the dog that he was. And Seneca said, some of us are slaves to passion, some slaves to avarice, some slaves to worldly ambition, and all slaves to fear. He could have said, we're all slaves to sin. But you don't have to be. And the good news is this. Listen to me carefully. The good news is that you become a captive of Jesus Christ. You're a slave to nothing. The moment you bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the head of all principalities and powers, rules and authority, as as the moment you bend your knee to the Lord, you're a slave nothing else. For that is a bondage that is true freedom. And so the believer said, Lord, make me a captive and I'll be free. He's all you need to escape what's binding you. I love it. I can tell you're excited about it. Now, a friend came to one of my preacher friends. A guy came to one of my preacher friends. And he said, I'd love to be a Christian, but he said, I don't believe I can live up to it. He said, I just don't believe I can, I don't believe I can do it. I'd like to be a Christian, but I just don't believe I can measure up. My preacher friend said, now, let's imagine yourself bound by bonds. Your hands are bound by chains and bonds. What you're saying is this, that the Lord is saying to you, if you'll break those bonds, I'll save you. If you'll break those bonds, I'll set you free. He said, no, let me tell you what it means to be saved. It means just holding up those bonds to Jesus. He's the one that can break them. You know how to be saved this morning? Just come with those bonds that bind you and offer them, hold them up to Jesus. He's all you need to be free. Now the impulse to completeness is the most compelling motive of life. And there's not a single person here this morning that doesn't want to be complete. There is no way other than through Him.
Let's pray. Father, now I pray that we will offer to Thee the bondages that bind us and the incompleteness that torments us and help us to reach our full life when we find the Lord Jesus, fullness complete in Him. For I ask in His name. Now there are three invitations this morning. One invitation is for you to come and give your heart to Jesus Christ. There's a little hole in your life that He and only, only He can fill. I want to invite you to come this morning and join the church like some did in the early service. Or come professing faith in Christ like one did in the early service. Say, I've been saved, but I want to be baptized. I want to make it publicly known. Maybe you need to come and join the church. Rededication of life. Whatever God leads you to do. Would you do it right away? We're not going to stay long. So if you're going to come, come on the first word while we stand to sing.